March 10th. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our passage today will come from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. Here is what we have learned so far in this very important chapter of Mark. This is really a story of preparation. There's preparation for burial, as we have learned. Mary's act of worship brought joy to the heart of Jesus and malice to the heart of Judas. There has been preparation for fellowship because it meant so much to the Lord to spend those final hours before His betrayal and execution with His disciples. There has been preparation for danger. They were in the upper room enjoying this rich, rich fellowship, but uh, they were not aware of the danger outside. And the Lord had to remind them. And finally, uh, there's preparation for death. Jesus' prayers reveal the conflict that was going on deep in His holy soul as He faced bearing the sins of the entire world on that cross. And as we have said, you need not fear the cup the Father has prepared for you. Jesus could submit to the abuse of men because He had already submitted to the will of God. Well, as we read today, let's ponder uh, these points in Mark chapter 14 as we read now from the New Testament. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. Jesus was led to the high priest's home where the leading priests, other leaders, and teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed far behind and then slipped inside the gates of the high priest's courtyard. For a while he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would testify against Jesus so they could put him to death. But their efforts were in vain. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up to testify against him with this lie. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, Aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the blessed God? Jesus said, I am, and you will see me, the Son of Man, sitting at God's right hand in the place of power and coming back on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? And they all condemned him to death. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and hit his face with their fists. Who hit you that time, you prophet? they jeered. And even the guards were hitting him as they led him away. Meanwhile, Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and then said, You were one of those with Jesus the Nazarene. Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. 
The servant girl saw him standing there and began telling the others, That man is definitely one of them. Peter denied it again. A little later, some other bystanders began saying to Peter, You must be one of them because you're from Galilee. Peter said, I swear by God, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and cried. I'm Derek Burrs, 34 years old from Lancaster, Ohio. Most of you know my backstory from before, but I'll touch on it quickly. I've experimented with every drug around and opiates are my true poison. I've lost all but two years of my adult life to incarceration due to terrible decisions from my desperation to get high. Through all of that, nothing made me consider sobriety. By the grace of God, my family suggested I enter the refuge since they could tell I'm on the same old path as before. Me agreeing to go to the orientation is single-handedly the best decision I've made in my life. I came in to get off drugs and what I'm in store for is a total mental, physical, and emotional transformation. If I didn't complete this, I'd feel like I'd be depriving myself of a life I've always desired. To all of you brothers in phase one, please give it a chance because the only way it won't work is if you leave. Just give it to God and he will work out, out the rest. There is nothing more gratifying than seeing and talking to your loved ones and them telling you about the mountains that God's moved in, in your transformation. They will hear the power in your voice and see the glow that you radiate with God in your life. This is the happiest I've been in my life, and it's natural. I smile and I'm in a good mood for no reason. We have brothers that love us and genuinely care, so trust in the process and let it all happen. The change I've seen in myself in the two months is unexplainable, so I can only imagine what 13 months would do for me. So please just give it a chance. Give it to God and trust in your brothers. He gave us all another chance in life, so use it. I love you all. Jesus said to his disciples when he left the earth, before he left the earth, he pulls his disciples aside and he says, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. He says that in John 16. It's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, think about that for a second. How in the world could it be to their advantage that Jesus leave the earth? These are the people that have been walking side by side with Jesus for about three years at this point. And Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, can you imagine if you, you actually literally walked with Jesus in the flesh? Yeah, Jesus walking around with you every day. Can you imagine what an advantage that would be? To have the Son of God walking next to you going, I know what you're thinking. Oh, okay, right. You know, I mean, just constantly, just right there, teaching you, discipling you. So after all that experience the disciples had, then Jesus says, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. That must have been so confusing. But then he says in the next breath, because unless I go, the helper cannot come. And explains that when he goes back to heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and that they're going to be better off with the Holy Spirit than having Jesus right there by their side. See, when you look at it in those terms and you think about how helpful it would be to have Jesus walking next to you, and for him to say it's to your advantage is even better, better than having me next to you, is the Holy Spirit living in you. 
guys, I, I've always known this next verse, but I just wonder if I really believed it. Um, because if I did, gosh, this would bring so much comfort to me. Verse 11. He says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Do you believe that? About yourself. See, Jesus tells the disciples, look, you're going to go up against, you know, the synagogue leaders you know, people of a different faith. You're going to go up against people that are rulers, governors, authorities. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry when you come up to those people about how you're going to defend your faith. You ever worried about how you were going to share your faith with someone? You ever got intimidated by someone like, oh, they know too much. I don't know enough to talk to them. See, this passage says, don't you worry when you go up in front of them because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. doesn't say he's going to tell you ahead of time what to say. And that's the annoying part. You know, we want to know ahead of time. We don't like this faith thing. We don't like this, okay, God's going to just have to have the words come out of my mouth. We don't like that. But God promises that, and He uses that to comfort them. Look, the Spirit of God lives in you. That means anytime you are called to defend your faith or say something or speak up about God, you'll be able to say what needs to be said. Now, the promise there doesn't promise that you're going to win the argument, does it? A lot of times that's our, you know, that's our pride. This is, oh, I got to win, I got to do this or that, or I got to lead in the Lord. No, it just says that you'll be able to say what needs to be said, that the Holy Spirit will give you at that time what you need to say that somehow your words will impact that person you're speaking to. This is so important because many of us don't speak up because of, because of fear. I don't know enough. I hear that all the time. I don't know enough. And yet, what does that say? He's going to teach you what to say. It may not be enough to win an argument, but you'll say what God once said. Do you believe that? I mean, really? Because a lot of us, we will only talk to people that we know we're uh, intellectually superior to, you know, and we'll get intimidated by certain people. Like, I don't know enough to talk to him, and so we end up talking to all these kindergartners. And, uh, you know, because why? We're relying on ourselves, and we don't really believe that God's going to give me the right words to say. And the simplicity of a new believer saying something it's about a spiritual warfare. It's not about us and our intellect and us always knowing more, but there's something spiritual that takes place and that God through His Spirit can cause you to say something that that person needs to hear at that moment. But do you believe that something supernatural will happen in your life when you just speak up and start talking about God? Because God promises that. See, that's where I say, you know what, do we really believe in the Holy Spirit? where we have that type of confidence. Doesn't mean you, you, you know every answer. Doesn't mean that you won. Doesn't mean you even necessarily led this person to the Lord. It just means you took the initiative. You just started speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit and God will give you words to say and then you're done. That's successful in God's eyes. In the end, what's going to matter is who did I impact? When did I just speak up for Jesus? 
So I can think of times when I got scared, I got intimidated, and I just kept my mouth shut. And a lot of people do that. It's, it's, it's an easy thing to do. Even the great prophets, you know, when God called Moses, what did Moses say? I can't talk. And God says, who made your mouth? What do you mean you can't talk? You know? When he called Jeremiah in chapter 1, he says, you know, go say this. I can't talk, I'm just a child. And he says, don't say you're just a child. I'm going to speak through you. Let me speak through you. Say what I tell you to say. This week, there'll be opportunities for you to do the same thing and just start talking. And what if we all took that seriously and really believed that we were God's instrument and that His Spirit really dwelt through us and we were His mouth? Man, what an incredible impact we would have on this world. See, stop saying you don't know enough. Okay? Keep studying and everything else, but stop saying you don't know enough. You know what you need to know. Stop saying you don't have the words because God will give you the words. You don't have them right now, but you will. That's what faith is all about. And if we could just keep that in mind this week, one impact we could have this very week. Don't waste another week in life. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 6. In this adaptation of Psalm 14, about God, Elohim is used instead of Lord Jehovah. Verse 5 has more words, and verse 6 has fewer words. Some psalms were adapted by the musicians for various uses in the temple worship. One of the wonders of Scripture is that it can be applied to every situation. What you think concerning God helps to determine your character and conduct. The fool ignores God and exploits people made in the image of God. Many people are practical atheists. Now they may claim to believe there is God, but they live as though He did not exist. Are you guilty of this? Well, let me just tell you, God will have the last word because when it's all said and done, God is. Psalm chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. For the choir director, a meditation of David. Only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. No one does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if there is even one with real understanding, one who seeks for God. But no... All have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread. They wouldn't think of praying to God. But then terror will grip them, terror like they have never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation would come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel. For when God restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living is a safeguard against death.